With so many high-quality and complex protection products out there, identifying the best is difficult. And what does the best even mean? In this episode, I talk to Ian McKenna about product comparisons and advice. He argues that we've fallen into a trap believing first class is best. Many clients might be happy with and be able to afford economy products instead. Have we contributed to the protection gap we all talk about closing? That's all right here in episode 67 of the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. Welcome, you're listening to the podcast for financial services professionals looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of marketing, protection and finance. episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show. And here's your host, Roger Edwards. Welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Since I recorded today's interview, I've gone and developed a cold, so I'll keep this introduction short and we'll get straight into my chat with Ian McKenna. A director at the Financial and Technology Research Centre for over 20 years, Ian is a well-known columnist in the UK financial press. His knowledge of provider and advisor technology is unparalleled. Ian describes himself as a financial technology evangelist, futurologist and singularitarian who is passionate about how technology can help people better understand their money and improve the quality of their lives. So here's Ian McKenna, right here on the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. So Ian, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Good morning, Roger. How are you? Yeah, very good. And where are you Skyping me from today, Ian? Uh, I'm actually Skyping you from home in Highbury at the moment. Thought I'd do this, we'd do the podcast before I go into the office, you know, enjoying the fact that uh, the mighty Tottenham Hotspur managed to earn a, ve- a good point. When you get to the stage where Wenger is happy with a, with a point <laughs> at Highbury, that has to be him admitting that Tottenham were the better team yesterday. And this is so, a good start to the week, definitely. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm a, a Spurs supporter that's um, actually lived in Highbury for the last 30 years. So, but, you know, your team is about where you grow up rather than uh, where where you live later on in life. And to be perfectly honest, though, I gather it's rapidly improving now. It has to be said that uh, Tottenham wasn't perhaps somewhere one would have wanted to have lived. <laughs> I grew up there, but I kind of got out in my early 20s. Escaped, maybe, would be the word. O- over to uh, another part of North London, but <laughs> still very much wear a white shirt. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Ian, we've got quite a lot of interesting stuff to talk about today. Day, mainly around protection and how the protection market can grow and how advisors can use technology to recommend more protection, find more clients for protection, and maybe even make their life easier around protection. But before we get to that, you've got a huge profile in the industry as a technology expert now, Ian. Give us a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, what your ambitions are, where you're going. Basically, what makes Ian McKenna tick? Now, there's a question. In in terms of my role within the industry, 
more years than I'm going to admit to as an advisor because I've actually been, you know, running a technology consultancy for for 20 years. So um, that was that shows that I was pretty much, well, it quite literally was straight out of school into in, in, into the industry, and you know. Indeed, I was almost still in short trousers when I had my first advisor firm. Right. Um, we, di- we didn't call him IFAs in those days. It predated that. But came through the sort of not unusual industry apprenticeship of working for a provider, moving to work for somebody else as an advisor, and then be at work, you know, setting up your own your own advisory firm. I got very involved along the way of talking, of working with industry media. And then what actually happened was... It's almost exactly 21 years to the week. Um, I had a couple of uh, trade publications. Two two papers literally came to me within the week, same week and said, could you write regular columns on technology? Okay. To which the answer was, yeah, of course. It was one of those things that I'd, I'd developed a very keen interest in industry technology. Frankly, from going into my advisor business on a one Sunday afternoon because I needed to write something to a client thinking oh I can just go in and turn on those computers and work out how they work that won't be difficult and having spent three quarters of an hour trying to find the on switch which is not <laughs> quite as daft as it sounds because it was they were the old Amstrad 1512s where right. actually the on switch was hidden right round the back of the monitor uh-huh. so I sort of gave up you know left the office resolving that you know this was something key in my business that frankly I didn't understand and that needed to change so over the next few years I started getting really interested in how technology works both generically and how it works in our industry so when I was asked to start writing about it that was sort of like duck to water if you like and then very shortly after those pieces started appearing People were coming along to me and saying, well, you know, you're telling us very publicly where we're getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. Could you help us get it right? Uh, To which the answer was, well, yes, of course. And I think that, you know, that that led to a situation very quickly where, you know, the demand for working, helping people with their technology actually exceeded the the, the advice work. And that that was where I sort of switched over. I, I stayed authorized for a couple of years, but, you know, primarily once I've moved into the, te- the, the, the technology side and it's all all around you know, the applied use of technology in the context of advice. I mean, with within FMTRC, we, we have a requirement for all the consultants that we recruit that they must have five years plus experience working as a power planner or an advisor right because if you're going to talk to people about how to use technology in an industry it's a good idea if you've done the job yeah and you un- you know you you've got to understand the detail and background and the practical challenges and and actually you know increasingly these days the development gender is is, is developed by the team against a challenge that is basically, well, if what you're doing would have made your life easier when you were working as a para planner or an advisor, do it. Right. If it wouldn't, don't, don't. do it. You know, mm-hmm. that that's our sort of, that's the test we apply to anything when we're building services to support advisors. And that's what we're really passionate about, using technology. Um, we're trying to move on from just helping advisors understand different technologies but actually use technology to help advisors carry out complex tasks 
simply. Right. So, of course, the company, as you said, FNTRC, um, stands for Finance and Technology Research Centre. Just give us a little bit of um, background of, as how, how the company's developed and where you see yourself now sitting within the um, financial services market. Initially, as I said, we were very focused on helping organisations understand how to use technology. Our primary market in those days used to be uh, the life and pension providers. The platforms actually didn't exist at that point. Yeah. So, and we, we still do a lot of that today. I mean, you know, providing an external sounding board, if you like, an external challenge to developments, because one of the difficulties that any organisation falls into um, when they're trying to build technology is you get get too close to it yeah yeah you, know, you have a team of people that might have worked together for 18 months to build something and they're totally bought into the vision of what they're trying to do but it's very easy to get into a situation where you've got that vision and you know exactly what you want yeah or just and, and not to see it from the outside world i mean I'll, I'll give an example i remember many years ago um a company showing me it's one of the very early online automated underwriting systems okay and i was given a demo by this company of how it all worked and i went away about a week later to write about it and i got i was given access myself to play with it and it was like hang on a minute where's all the navigation how do i you know it just wasn't natural and the problem was that invariably the developers had got a very clear picture in their mind and they knew everything that they you needed to do you have to try and make things intuitive so that people can immediately see what they need to do and if you if you don't do that that's a big a big challenge and you're unlikely to achieve what you're aiming for so you, it's always important to have that external focus mm. so to move on after about well at the, the beginning of the last decade um, we started getting into extensively benchmarking the operational functions of life and pension providers, platforms, etc., publishing ratings through those which appeared in Money Marketing and Corporate uh -huh. Advisor. So we did that for about a decade. And then we got to the point where we thought, actually, we are in the 21st century. It's time to put all of this information online for advisors, make it accessible to them and one of the other things that was really really important to me was that we had to be able to support the small advisors mm -hmm. by making that information free yeah you know we live in the in, in the digital economy where access to information should be free it's then how you apply and analyze that information so where we are today we've built a range of research services which cover 10 different protection products. We also have the, the same thing for workplace uh, savings and auto-enrollment. Auto we have a, an investment platform due diligence system that's just in the process of being finalized. There's beta access available to it uh, already at the moment. That basically what we do is assimilate a vast amount of information to try and put that into context for our protection surveys. We will typically ask a provider about three and a half thousand questions Goodness. about their proposition, but we then analyze all of that and deliver it up into manageable chunks of information that advisors can access. So to give you an idea, 
at the simplest level, we also now produce our own ratings so that an advisor can go on to the system. All this information exists at a site that's advisorsoftware.com, www.advisorsoftware.com. So an advisor could go, can register for that. As I say, it's, it's free to all. Uh, advisor members of the Personal Finance Society is actually the, t- the, the technical arrangement okay. there. They can go into the protection area and they can then look at the first way in which we play the information back is a series of ratings. So we've, we're in the process of, re- of rolling out ratings for all the different protection products. So far, we've published ratings for life protection, mortgage protection, income protection and FI. We're currently doing an exercise on business protection and we'll be looking at critical illness earlier next year. And what we want to explore today really is how you can help IFAs to reach more customers by using technology. And one very interesting thing you said in the green room before we pressed record this morning, Ian, was that you think we should stop talking about the protection gap because to a certain extent, we're all responsible for the protection gap. We've created an industry which um, arguably is extremely complicated. It revolves around adding lots of illness conditions to critical illness plans. It revolves around constant price competition. It doesn't necessarily revolve around giving customers, i.e. the end consumer, what they actually want to buy. So take us over that view. How, How do you think we've got ourselves into this situation? I think if you look at the way that the industry has sought to innovate, in the particularly in the last four or five years, people have moved away from price competition because, you know, Premiums were already getting pretty much down to the bone and you're getting to the stage where, well, if you were going to cut the premiums anymore, you nearly really needed to start cutting away bits from the cover. Yeah. So I think the, the manufacturer community, the providers, um, have focused more at looking at, well, how can we improve what we're offering? Yes, you gave the example there of people adding, you know, additional illnesses I think we've moved away. I think we've moved on from that because actually having, you know, the, the question around, oh, well, are you going to add, you know, add another illness? But actually, what's the chances of it having a claim? People are more now looking at, well, overall, protection should be an experience. It right. should be more than just providing money. It should be providing support, counselling services, for example. I find this a fascinating one. No, roughly 50% of the providers in the market um, will provide bereavement counselling in the event that a policyholder dies. Yeah. Um, now, some of them actually provide bereavement counselling if someone in your family dies. So even through the lifetime of the product, yeah. the, the, the insured person can have access to those services. 50% of the market don't provide those services. To me, if somebody's taken a conscious decision to take out life assurance... It's a fairly safe bet if you turn around and say to them, and in the event that there's a claim, would you want your family to have some some somebody to help them deal with the, the, the psychological trauma? Yeah. Who's going to say no? And yet half. So what we've done is, and, and there's been some great work done by a number of providers that are actually looking at well, what is their claim process? How easily, you know, it's a... <laughs> Hard to imagine a more difficult time for a family than, than losing one of the family. But what can we do as an industry 
to make that experience as gentle and, and as 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 possible uh-huh. to be supportive a lot of valid work going on there but i think all of these things that have been done the problem is as we have advanced the qualitative elements of products yeah we've not done enough to enable advisors to understand and most importantly be able to compare those different qualitative elements of a product. Uh-huh. So, um, and again, you you know, look at a situation. Take take for example, children's critical illness cover, which has been you know become very very popular. And if we look back six months ago or thereabouts, you know, Friends Life enhanced their wordings. We're very successful in in getting a, a positive message out to people. That's fine. But if you're comparing critical illness policies, what if the people you're looking at the critical illness policy for have decided not to have children? So, you know, it's about we, what we need to do is make it easier for the advisors to be able to compare those qualitative features and create a record of why. Because I think one of the major problems that we've got now is a fear factor amongst certainly some advisors. There is a mentality that we're always expected to offer the perfect product. And there's a real risk in that, which does come back to the so-called protection gap, which is that you run the risk of getting into a situation where because a customer can't afford the perfect product, they don't buy the economy version. Indeed. And when it comes to a claim, what do we want? Do we want to have a situation where somebody's got some cover, perhaps not the perfect cover, or no cover at all? That one really should be something of a no-brainer. We also need to make it that there is a concern clearly from a liability perspective, from a compliance perspective. There's a, a, a lot of pressure towards only offering the perfect product where we believe that what advisors need to be able to do is to conduct research on the qualitative aspects of a product yeah, and then generate an analysis which will give them a record of what were the features that they agreed with the customer were most important and how do all the, how did the providers in the market compare on those features and actually have, have a record on file that cle- very clearly documents the rationale behind the decision and why a particular provider was recommended with actually a full list of the facts that were, t- were taken into account. Because, you know, then you're creating that record for the future. So if anybody comes back and says to you subsequently, well, you recommended policy X, but they weren't the best for that bit of small print, because I think this is a big part of the problem. Mm. Not No one provider is going to be perfect at everything. No. At every aspect of a policy so there is always some element of a compromise but what we need to do is make it easy for advisors to conduct that act that analysis and document the reasons behind so that they can have something that if they are ever challenged in the future yeah they've got a report that says well look we you know we agreed with the client that would look at all these different factors we used a system which benchmark these factors that's how the providers compared and yes the company selected was best in area abc 
but we documented the other areas where it was perhaps not they didn't have as wide a cover as, as certain other providers so you know it's a key part in protecting the advisor in the future but also in in coming up with the best solution for the client which is the most important thing of all matching the actual cover to the customer need and we're doing that through the use of technology so what you're actually saying is that at the moment there are quite a lot of people out there once they've got over that uh, stumbling block that a lot of people don't think about protection in the first place there are a lot of people out there who would be happy with an economy type of product it's just that the the industry is almost uh, almost geared towards selling a first class if you were using airline um, uh, imagery there they're almost saying you've got to buy a first class ticket whereas a lot of people are very happy with an economy ticket but at the moment if you can't have first class you don't really buy anything well absolutely i mean you know everybody would like to travel at the front of the plane but do you want to go on holiday at all or are you only going to go on holiday if you if you can uh, afford a space in the in the fourteen seats at the front? Indeed, and it's almost a fear factor that's created this in the industry. That yes, you've got to have first class. You've got to have first class. What you're saying is that the technology is available now to enable the advisor to give the advice that the economy product is fine, and just to for his peace of mind as well as the, as the clients, it will all be recorded and. If anything went wrong in the future, it's all there in black and white for people to refer back to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, within Quality Analyzer, which is the software that we've we've created for advisors, you can produce a two-page report. Overall, you've got a single-page sheet of ratings, um, and we produce comparative ratings sheets uh, for each of the providers in each of the products. So one side of A4 in a consistent format comparing each of the providers that you might want to consider all the way through to the ability for the advisor to put in the client personal circumstances gener- and generate a series of reports from that. One which can be a literally a two-page summary or alternatively a series of graphical analysis and you can even bolt on what we do is we actually generate the full-length report includes the specific policy wordings in the 10 priority areas up to 10 priority areas that the advisor selects for the top five providers in any given comparison so you know frequently with those reports we say look generate it electronically don't print it because you can be talking 40 50 (laughs) in critical illness sometimes 70 pages indeed but you've got that record for the future so if anybody comes back and says why there's like well yeah we did all of that analysis there you are that's how it compares i mean ian that's really interesting that what we're really talking about technology to help the IFA feel comfortable with the fact that some consumers don't want the Rolls-Royce product. But as an industry, we really need to do a lot more as well to inform the consumer about the need for protection and about how much it costs and about what's available. What what else should we be doing as an industry to, to promote the need for protection and overcome some of the preconceptions that people have about what we do? Well, I think with this, we've got to start recognising that the competition is not each other. Yeah, the competition between, to be fair, very few IFAs see other IFAs as their competition. Right. Uh, I think life companies need to think less about their competition being their peers and more about the fact that actually their competition in the protection market is all the other things that consumers choose to spend their limited disposable income on rather than buying protection for their families. Yeah. So, 
The competition is Starbucks. The competition is Sky. The competition is anything else that a customer chooses to do. And, you know, how often does what do one hear, you know, people in the industry you know, pontificating, frustrated with the fact that, you know, why, why don't people recognize that our products are such good value? Well, the answer is because we don't do a good job of explaining that to them. We, we talk to, we talk, but A, we do have a habit of talking down to people. Yeah. Um, we need, we need to actually start relating to things in terms they understand. So, um, a great example of doing this right is the Life Happens campaign in the US. Yes. Uh, which is, I, I so wish, and actually I'd, I'd go as far as to say, I think Seven Families has done some great work, but I think we need to take it on and learn a lesson from the Americans. Mm -hmm. Life Happens has been going for about 25, 30 years now. It's it's basically a campaign that started off with about 10 or 15 insurers contributing into a consumer-facing marketing campaign. Now yeah. there's vastly more insurers that support it, and they do some really, really great research and com consumer communications for example, detailed study recently um, identifying that the average American consumer, and, and I've seen post this coming out in the US, there have been one or two people in the UK who seem to have done remarkably similar studies. <laughs> um, but, and the pricing is pretty similar. Most consumers believe that protection cover, cover will cost them three and a half times more than it actually will. Yes. So we need to start talking to consumers in language that they understand. I'm a great fan of the Life Happens campaign. It's one of yeah. the uh, things I have bookmarked on my uh, browser and often look at it and think, wouldn't it be good if uh, if the UK industry did something similar? Just to pick up on that, Roger, we're coming you know, to the end of the first phase of Seven Families, and I think we should be asking ourselves questions. Yes. That we can see what's been done in the US. Why are we not doing it? I think that's a great question to just let linger in the air as we come towards the end of the podcast. Ian, it's been great to talk to you. Uh, um, this morning it's uh we've been trying to catch up for quite a while so it's great that you've um, finally managed to um, spend a little bit of time talking to me today technologies are should be at the, at the top of everybody's agenda and i think you've given us a lot of food for thought this morning i always like to finish the podcast with a quick fire round of business questions so let's go straight into that ian if there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry what would it be uh it would be to come up with to, to create a mentality of helping customers actually assess value and quality so that they they start to look not just at best best products but also the economy products too to to meet their needs we've got to start talking to them differently what's the one business model or it could be a product or it could be a campaign that's caught your attention in the last year tell us what it was and what you liked about it i'm going to revert to a previous comment that's life happens i passionately believe we should be doing the same in the in the uk it, it articulates the need for protection in terms that consumers can understand um, and I think that's something that's really important tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your working life it's got to be my iPad it, it, <laughs> it kind of goes my laptop is pretty much consigned to history it doesn't it doesn't travel with me so much these days I cannot wait for the sort of 
is it 12.9 inch iPad oh yes uh, it's going to be really interesting when that happens what's the best business book you've ever read tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it um, it's a book called 50 ways to yes okay. um, and it's basically about behavioural science and particularly behavioural finance it was a classic case of taking a book away on, on a holiday and as, as the title suggests it looks at 50 different ways at getting people to, to say yes to something. But there was like almost every single part of every single chapter, there was something that could be learned from and applied to our business. I mean, you know, the classic thing of you, you're reading through a book and you start post putting sort of post-its in or bookmarking it. Um, I think I post put post-its on 46 of the 50 st studies. There was like almost everything had something to learn from it. Ian, I'm sure there's going to be a load of people listening to the podcast today that are going to want to get in touch with you and maybe talk about the technological solutions that you offer through FTRC. So tell everyone, what's the best way that they should get in touch with you? Okay, um, the research system can be accessed at www.advisorsoftware.com. Advisor software being one word, they need to go on, complete a quick brief registration form, and then there's a, a short delay where we just validate that they are an advisor um, and then turn them on because the service is designed for professional advisors and we have to be a little bit careful that it, we only give access to people that have suitable qualifications. Okay. Um, if they want to, email is probably the best way to reach me, uh, which is ian.mckenna, ian with one I, um, McKenna, M-C-K-E-N-N-A, at ft rc fox rock tango romeo charlie.co.uk my twitter address is at ian mckenna ftrc fantastic all of those contact details will be on the show notes page for this podcast which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash mpaf that's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash mpaf i'll also in include links to the FTRC website, also to lifehappens.org as well. Ian, thanks very much for taking the time to come on the podcast this morning. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Let's catch up in London at some point for a coffee in the future. Sounds good, mate. Excellent. I look forward to that. Thanks, thanks for everybody's time as well today. Hope they found it useful. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.